Welcome to The Black Mantle with your host, Scholar, as we discuss information technology, also known as IT. Technology has made a drastic impact on how humans interact with innovations. Today's discussion is our transition in the banking industry between cash and mobile banking technology and how it changed our fundamental principle of counting. From a physical bill to the digital currency, how has that impacted the world on how we view money? Looking back in your life, how has this specific technology changed you? Money, physical currency. These are things that we used to have so much embedded into our society growing up. And there are a couple of things today that we're going to discuss about money from its past state to its current state as of today and in the future. The question I want to pose to everyone is, can anyone remember the last time that they held and has seen a $2 bill? As we know, the $2 bill is still in circulation, even though we don't actually see it right now too much because we deal with money in different ways because technology has advanced so much. Now, throughout this discussion, you're going to hear me mention IT and technology, and they're both the same thing. So when you hear those two terms, I'm referring to the same thing, okay? So when we're looking back at the circulation of this bill, there were a couple of things that came up that were very, very interesting about the $2 bill in itself. For instance, as of right now, uh, Karen Day, there's about $2.3 billion worth of $2 bills that's in the circulation right now. Now, I haven't seen any of that, and I'm sure you haven't, but look at the way how we pay for things right, right now. We don't necessarily have to have the physical money in our hand because everything is digital, but it still makes you want to reflect back and look at where we came from to where we currently are right now. And that's not a bad thing at all. I remember growing up, my parents, my grandparents, especially around birthdays, the holidays, um, they would give me a $2 bill. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I remember we used to put it in like a picture frame or something or put it up on the wall as if we wasn't going to spend it. And that was perfectly fine because it was something that you could keep, but you didn't necessarily have to spend. So when we look at that and then we compare that to today, the average person today will probably respond and think back in their childhood if you was to give them a $2 bill, I wonder if they would actually spend that. I wonder how merchants would feel if you pay with a $2 bill. And so sometimes we have to kind of look back on what we used to do to kind of understand where we currently are right now. And with having these $2 bills, I bring that up because that was a point in which we really cared about money that we had in our hand and we were able to 
set it aside or see what we physically had in order to determine what purchases that we're, we're going to make, to be honest with you. So how much cash do you have on you right now? If everyone was to pull cash out of their pocket, how much physical cash would you have right now versus you having about 20 years ago? I remember pulling, you know, a few cents to a couple of dollars out of my pocket to go and get something at the store. Maybe it's a, you know, a bag of chips or something like that. But with that money in your hand, like you have $5 in your hand, I'm just going to say that right now. Um, back 20 years ago, uh, 2000, uh, 2003, whatever. If you have $5 in your hand, you already knew before you went to the store, you knew what, what you were going to purchase, but you knew that whatever that you picked up in that store, it had better been less than what you have in your hand. And if you picked up more than what you had, then hopefully you had some friends around you who was able to spot you a couple of dollars to get whatever it was that you were trying to purchase. So when we look at that and wonder, okay, how much cash did we used to carry back then versus carrying cash right now on the average, if you was to walk up to someone and say, you know, Hey, do you have change for a five or a change for a 10 or a 20 more than likely somebody's going to probably cash out you. They're going to send that money to you in a digital way, in a digital form. And so it allows us to be able to transact cash businesses. It allows us to send that money right then and there without having to go to a bank, withdraw money or figure out how to get change. Whether you go into a nearby store and make a small purchase just to get bills back. That kind of way is, it's still being used by some people today, but the majority of people can make exact transactions. So what we want to do is we want to look at not only how much money that people carry then and carry right now, but the importance of learning to count money. A lot of people can probably relate to playing the game Monopoly. As that's changed over the course of time, as we know, from the paper version of Monopoly, which you have to transact business with friends or families you were playing the game and you have to actually physically count that money versus now having the debit card version. And then there's a credit card version that's out as well. So it's almost like the money's front loaded on there and then you spend as you are going throughout the game. And so while that's great and it's going along with the way that technology has changed in society, it's even gotten down into the games. So the message that I want to leave behind with that is even though we are in a technological society, we still want to learn how to count money and teach our children how to count money as well. So some people have learned to count money with the paper money that you used to buy at the store. Um, they had like the pennies, the nickels, the dimes, the quarters, the dollar bills. And you can actually sit there and physically learn how to count money that way. Other people have learned different ways of counting money, whether their parents or whoever gave them, you know, real money to you know count to learn for school. And that's great. But 
the chances are that society counting paper money today, I'm pretty much willing to bet is has decreased a lot more now than what it has before because we're able to pay for things in a totally different way. We understand money a totally different way. Now, the expression on society's face, if they see cash right now, as we're in their present state of COVID-19, more than likely, somebody's not going to touch that money. If you go into a store, or you go to a drive through to pay for something, it's very rare somebody's going to hand cash over. They're going to pay for it with a credit card, a debit card, or if that specific uh, place has terminals where you can pay for through your mobile device. So remember, does anybody remember the phrase change for five is what I mentioned earlier. I have not heard that phrase in a while, but some of you who's listening to this podcast probably remember that. So think about what went through your head then and what you did and think about it right now. If someone walked up to you and asked you, do you have change four or five? Overall, how much cash do people normally have on them in 2020 compared to back then? Think about that for a second. Not many people carry that much cash. Technology has definitely changed that so much. So it's up to us to figure out, are we going to move forward or are we going to stand still? Now, according to a study that was by Gallup, and this can easily be referenced online. You can type in the Google search engine, uh, many different forms, but pretty much Americans using cash less compared with five years ago. Americans who report making all or most of their purchases with cash five years ago, that was 36% of the U.S. population. Right now, that number is about 24%. So I'm not saying that money, physical money is going away, but as technology is changing and is more creative apps and ways to pay for things, people are turning to those particular ways to pay for items or purchases or whatever it is that they're buying. So we definitely want to keep that in mind. Think about it. How has that specific technology in this part changed you? So when we had to deal with cash, at the same time, we also had to learn how to balance a checkbook. So if you can think back, what do you remember about using a checkbook and how did you use it? Because when you're looking at that, like the checkbook, you had to know how to balance it. Whether you had a calculator in your hand or some form of technology in your hand to help you calculate, you know, how to balance it. So that way, you know about what's in your account. You at least had an estimate of what was in your account compared to today, knowing at the moment whether you have text messaging set up um, on your phone through your bank to send you like a daily balance of what's in all of your accounts, the checkbook, that was the way that you were able to um, see about how much you had in your account. It may not have been to the exact cent, but you kind of get the idea. Now, 
with checks, you know, they were great. You had to be physically there to make that purchase or you mailed it off or send it in or whatever. But at times people were committing fraud and writing hot checks. And we all know what hot checks are. Um, you know, when somebody who takes someone's check or something and they go and make a purchase with somebody else's money that they had no idea that was going on until weeks or maybe months down the line. And what stores will do is stores will have the names and they will have sometimes a picture posted in the stores to let, you know, other customers know or the store members, you know, to know, hey, be on the alert. You know, somebody's writing hot checks from this particular, you know, person's name or account or, or what have you. So by doing this and writing checks, sometimes the money was not actually in the person's account. But what they could do is say they went in like on a Monday or Tuesday to make a purchase for groceries or gas. Then they may post date the check to a Friday. So they kind of gave them a little bit of leverage, kind of almost similar to like the barter system. I mean, I remember at times when like, you know, back home when I was growing up, uh, we knew a guy who owned a gas station up the street and you know, periodically, you know, my grandparents, you know, had a very great relationship with, you know, the business owner where they were able to pretty much, you know, write a check a day or two before, you know, get gas and then pay it off at the end of the week. Um, even like a local uh, candy store that we had, you know, people who were good at, you know, paying their uh, weekly bill or whatever, we could go and get, you know, say like a honey bun or some candy or jungle juice or something. And, you know, my grandparents would pay for it at the end of the, of the week. So today that current system is probably still around, maybe in your mom and pop shops, but for big business, you better have that money there to make sure that you can pay for that item. Because, you know, if not, you know, you don't want to create any, you know, bad habits starting off. So some stores still give you credit now in the event of their own store owned card. So see how the technology has changed from where using cash to still using cash. And then you have checks too, back around that time. And people still use checks today. Now it may seem kind of odd, you know, you're in the store, you're in the line and people are using their debit cards as they're going through the grocery store and say someone pulls out a checkbook and the line is full of people, what do you think is going to happen? People may look as if it's like ancient technology, which, I mean, that's your opinion of how you feel about that. But the checks are still being used around because some people still pay bills with the checks. They still mail them off because they feel that it is the safest form of transaction for them. Even though your account number and all that information is right there on the check if somebody wanted to commit a fraud i mean the information is, is there and so with all that being said can you tell me how many people today can still balance a checkbook and that is something that we have to know how to do and i don't think it's a bad idea to even teach kids today how to balance a checkbook because it teaches them 
the basic principles of finance, the basic principles of money, which we all need to know at some point. What if in the event that, you know, a terminal is down at a store due to a thunderstorm or something that came through, that child or that person would still need to know how to count properly if they have cash on them. Because keep in mind, we talked about cash first and then we own, you know, checks and, you know, so forth. So just think about that for a minute off both of those things and just figure out when's the last time that you used cash? How did you feel about it then versus now? And then overall, how many people today can balance a checkbook? We're going to take a break for a moment and we'll be right back. So we've taken a look at cash or we talked about cash. We talked about checks. But there's another thing that we need to discuss as well that goes along with that that is transcended into our society. And that thing is cards. Yes, we're going to talk about debit cards and credit cards. And as we know, we all are aware and know how to use them. But do we really understand the technology behind it, why that technology is there and how that's beneficial to us in society? So when we look at the technology behind debit cards, we have to take a look at the first step of when we had the cards, when they came around, they didn't have any type of chips embedded into them. So we were still able to use the cars the same way that we currently use them right or not currently as we use them right now, but we were able to use the cars to transact business. But now you see a lot of cards and terminals that have been switched over to use the microchips that are now implanted in the cars. And I'm going to take a step back into, I'm going to say around between 2003 and 2008 when I went overseas. I had gotten this, this card uh, from a medical provider overseas, and that was the first time that I had ever seen a chip on the card. I mean, it almost looked like a micro SIM card in a sense, like planted on the face of the card. And so I remember asking my dad, you know, what is this on this card? And when I found out it was, a security chip that was on the car or what we call microchips today. And I had this car. And when I came back home, I started showing it around, you know, to family and friends to get their opinion on what they thought that it was. And nobody had ever seen it because in Europe, most of the time when new things come out, they start overseas first and then they migrate from East to West. So, when I remember, like I said, having this physical card in my hand that had a chip and I'm bringing it back to the United States, I couldn't use it here in the U.S., but it was cool to show friends and family a form of technology that was getting ready to come over into the U.S. and it hadn't even came out yet. That was the coolest thing. And me being a person in technology, I like seeing different new and exciting things and also showing others what that looks like. I like to see the reaction on people's face. 
And as I was looking at this and started looking back on the history, those chips didn't come out in the U.S. to 2015. So I was already over five years ahead of this time by getting something there and bringing it back here and having it before it actually came out on debit cards. But when you look at the technology behind the chips themselves, it's encrypted information. And for those technical people out there, you know what encryption is, especially if you deal with cybersecurity. But for those of us who are not as technical, I wanna break it down to a simple point that will help you understand on the surface level what encryption is. But encryption pretty much is being able to send something from point A to point B without somebody else in the middle understanding it. So if you are writing a letter to a friend per se, and you're in Tennessee, you write a letter and you take it to the postal office and that gets shipped or sent to California. That person opens it. What you're hoping is the people that's handling that letter in the middle does not intercept that message or open your mail and read your mail, which we hope not. It's too much things going to the post office for someone to be focusing on a letter per se. But if you, when you encrypt something, it's basically saying that, okay, this person's taking this letter that they're shipping from Tennessee and say you, for some reason, just mix up all the letters on the page where it doesn't make sense to anybody who could possibly intercept it. Only you and the person that you're sending it to you are the only two people on earth who understand that message that you jumbled up on that page. That's what encryption is on a surface level. It doesn't get sorted out or back together until it reaches its destination. And that destination being who you had as the recipient. That's pretty much how encryption works on a surface level. But when you look at the encryption that's embedded in these cards, it gives the financial institutions a way through a new technological form of whether that transaction is approved or denied. So if you're out eating or you're out going to a baseball game and you're getting ready to slide that card, some of us have been in a situation where we know the transaction may not go through, but we're hoping that it goes through so therefore we're not embarrassed by people who are standing behind us in line. At one point in time, mostly all of us have been in a situation where we're hoping that transaction is approved. So just picture being out eating a nice meal and it's time to go and the waiter or waitress bring that check, lay it down, and they come back and tell you that your card is denied. So you got a decision to make right there. You better hope you have cash on you. Maybe you can try to use a check. I doubt it. But you want to have more than one type of currency with you in the event of something like that happens. Now, I'm not saying that the machine at that particular time could be broken. Sometimes that happens. But we also know whether we have it in our account or we don't. So what that chip does it not only encrypts the card, but in combination with the magnetic strip that's on the card and the chip together, they form a type of security and it holds information or rather three types of information, which is your credit limit, 
your available balance and your transaction limits. So when you're looking at the credit limit in terms of the credit cards, of course, we all know whatever you signed up for when you first got that card is what's going to be available for you to spend on credit. Now, as you purchase things, you can call or email or go into the app and you can request an increase in your credit limit. So keeping that credit limit in mind with the credit cards and then moving over to the available balance on a debit card is what you actually have in your account before other transactions start to process and go through. So it's very neat, like you can use your mobile device or your tablet or even text the short code to your financial institution to get the available balance back. So what's available is there for you to spend. So for instance, you know, if you go and you make, you know, a purchase for something that's say $5,000 and your available balance is $4,000 is not going to go through. You don't have it there. But when you have the transaction limits, say on a credit card or your debit card, this allows you to make purchases and for them to go through or be approved without them being denied only if the system has learned through algorithms of what you would normally spend. So if you normally spend around $400 and you do a transaction for 500 or 300, more than likely it's gonna go through because that technology behind the scenes is transacting so much information and it's encrypted and it's sending that information in so many different directions. But to you, it's a fraction of a millisecond. So you will know instantly whether that's gonna go through or not. So if, you're, if you go out see something for $5,000, you never spent it on that debit or credit card, and you've never spent that much before, the interesting thing with some credit cards, and it may not, I, it probably may be on all credit cards by now, but I know for instance, say with American Express, you can go on and you can actually type in what you're about to spend, it will instantly tell you whether that transaction will go through or not. Definitely try that. It would definitely save an, you from being embarrassed when you're actually there making that purchase. So when you look at just from that technology behind debit cards and then the the um, switching over, you know, into the encryption of the cards by adding the microchips to them, which allow us to have instant information right there, you can't beat that. And that is something that we need to keep in mind. But it also shows us that if that card does not work, say the network is down, then we have a way, if you have cash on us, to still pay for that transaction. So sometimes you may have to use that debit or credit card to pay for something that's higher than what you would normally spend. So with all of that being in mind, what is your opinion on the microchips? And how has that specific form of technology changed you. So now that we've discussed on most of the topics that we went over today from using cash, then using checks, then using debit and credit cards, we are still using most of those today. But as technology advance, there are going to be a continuous involvement of new ways how we transact 
our daily business or transact things in our personal life. And one of the things that is coming up a lot that most people are turning to with the advancement of mobile phones, because we always have them on us at all times, and also smart devices. But we're going to take a look at a specific portion dealing with mobile pay technologies. And for those of you who may not be familiar with mobile pay technologies, basically you're taking that debit card that you physically have on you and you are putting that in a device, whether you're putting it through your Apple Pay on your phone or your Android Pay or Google Pay on your Android device. But most of the time you're going to see those two devices or people are going to mostly basically have one of those two devices on them at least most of the people in the world, except for, you know, others who may have different types of phones. But for the most, mostly everybody's going to have Apple or Android. And with that being said, they're transcending into a different way of payment or things online. So when you're looking at mobile pay, um, we need to take a step back and see when did mobile pay start coming around. But if you can think back, way back in 1998 when PayPal came out. And PayPal is an online um, mobile payment platform where you can store your cards into. And when you're looking at that uh, PayPal, you need to also consider this was just like a physical bank, but it's like a transaction system online. So people normally used it with eBay when they were making transactions and then some still were using it with Amazon. But PayPal is kind of the central point um, of where you can plug your card into and then pay for something from a computer online to make a purchase but not actually use your card. So for example, if you was on walmart.com and you want to make a transaction, you could theoretically type your debit card or credit card into there, or some people who were a little bit skeptical at first would put their card information in PayPal, and then they would go to the Walmart site, and when you get ready to check out, you have the option to use American Express, Visa, checking account, or PayPal. And when you click the PayPal, it will route you to the PayPal site for you to finish the transaction and then it would reroute you back to the Walmart site to close out the transaction. So that was in a way a form of mobile payment because you were using it from your computer to another site to transact business through another site. But we're going to narrow it down a little bit more and move directly to the cell phone because now where we would, would take our cell phones and we were using them to make purchases from the device, we're actually taking the card, putting it on the mobile device, and then using that at a terminal um, to make transactions that we have today. And so when you're looking at mobile pay, you have to look at different payment options that are out there. And for the most part, you're going to have Apple Pay, you're going to have Android Pay or Google Pay. And Google Pay and Android Pay, Android Play kind of go, you know, both hand in hand. But the interesting thing is with Google Pay, when you use that, if you're using the Google search engine and you're using Google Chrome, you can go to the manage payment section and you can enter in your debit card and you can save that information. So whenever you go to a website 
or you're shopping online, it will ask you if you want to enter in your card information. And when you click that button, it will the the browser will take your saved card information and it will pull that into that shopping cart and then you're able to pay for the transaction or from your mobile phone if you're out and about and you don't want to type it in you can use fingerprint technology to pull that card information in and continue with that transaction so look at it from many different perspectives but no matter what site that you're on right now if you didn't want to scan your card or type the information in at all times you can basically leave your wallet or purse at home and still make transactions on the go. So this form of technology is definitely taking over because it gives you the option to not have to have physical currency or physical cars or physical checks with you to make these transactions. So if we can look back movies majority of the time tell you what's about to happen or what's about to come through or what new form of technology is coming up. If any of you can remember uh, the movie I robot that Will Smith was in, uh, it came out in about 2004. If you remember, there was a scene on there where um, Will had made a transaction through a smart device. And even though we had not made it to that point yet, this kind of in minds of people who were very, you know, tech savvy, such as myself, I could foresee that coming in the future. Now, some people would have thought, hey, that is what something that we would see in 2050. But here we are in 2020 and we see this kind of transactions taking place. So when we look at that, we're moving to that direction where the you're carrying less things on you. You have a way to pay for things with your mobile device. Now, when you look at the technology behind mobile paying, you're basically storing your card in a digital way. So this allows you to make payments with a smart device that you have on you, whether you have your phone or a smartwatch. And now the future could be that you could probably pay for them through your headphones, who knows? I'm eager to see what's the next form of way or next or the next way that you will be able to pay for items through any and every device or mobile device that you have. So I remember, for instance, one day I was going to get gas and I was just about on E and I left my wallet at home. But luckily I had my smartphone with me and I also had my smartwatch. So I was able to go to the terminal or at the gas pump. They had a little small terminal there and the terminal had the option to use Google Pay. But because I was already set up and already had my information embedded in the system, I was able to take my watch and just hold it up to the terminal. Or I was able to take my smartphone and do it. And I've done it both ways. And it's so convenient because in the event, if you lose your wallet or you forget your wallet or purse, or you leave your cash at home and leave that checkbook at home, you're still able to pay. But the only downfall with that is if you lose that you know, device or somebody takes that device, 
you better hope that you set a remote um, the delete on that particular uh, device before you did it. And what I mean by that is when you get these smart devices, you set up ways on there where you can go onto the uh, website, whether it's Samsung or Apple, and you can remote lock or remote uh, delete that device. So it's basically like a, a doorstop to that person that, that, that has it because it's going to be interconnected to the network anyway. So just go ahead and set that information up beforehand in the event of it's lost. But I want to ask the question, would you rather lose your wallet or your mobile phone today? Take some time and think about it. Think about the world that we live in. I'm willing to bet that people would much rather lose their wallet than they would their mobile phone because the mobile phone is a person's life. You have your card information on there, you have pictures, you have your social media accounts, you have telephone numbers, which most people don't remember anymore. But these devices make our life easy. It makes things easy to do. And so we must keep these devices charged at all times. Picture leaving your wallet at home, you're 60 miles down the road, you have to get gas, you're almost on E and you realize that your phone crashed or your mobile device crashed and you can't pay for it. What do you do in that point? Because back in the day, people just take a gas can and just walk a couple of miles, you know, hopefully somebody they knew passed by to help them go and get, you know, gas or help them pay for gas. But we live in a point right now where, um, where we're able to, you know, at least have some kind of form of backup. As people used to say, um, that I used to be around, they say, hey, I'm going to carry some petty cash around with me. And that petty cash was, you know, 20 or $30 that you'll just store in your vehicle or have on you in the event if something happened. So that's how important cash could be in the technological world that we live in. So hopefully your device, your mobile phone doesn't, you know, die when you're making the transactions, but most importantly, you have to keep them charged in order to take advantage of the mobile pay technologies that are out there. And when you're looking at the mobile pay technology, a little bit of how that works, and you can research this online. There's a lot of information about it out there, but basically phones now have NFC readers on them. And NFC stands for near field communication. What that means is if your device is near that location of where the terminal is sending that signal, it will read it. So if you if you ever went into, uh, let's say, Pilot gas station, you go there. If you hold your phone up to a specific part of the terminal when they get ready to check you out, it will actually read the information from your phone and it will ask you just a few questions. You click go or OK and your transaction is done. and You walk out the store. I remember I did that a few times whenever I was able to do it on my um, phone. And some people in line just kind of looked at me like, what is this guy doing? But they wonder, he just walked, they wonder, you know, hey, how did he just walk out of here without paying for anything? They didn't know that you could do that kind of thing from your phone. And that's okay. Everybody takes technology a different way, but at some point we will all have to move to that mobile pay transaction. So, if you could take out your phone, and for those of you who have not set 
this form of payment up, just give it a try. And you can delete it off. You don't have to keep it on there, but just give it a try because even some of the mobile pay options give you points back. So you can use those for however you wish to, you know, buy other forms of technology, whether it be wireless earbuds or something, but check it out. It's definitely something to take advantage of. But when you're looking at all these different forms of mobile pay and seeing the movies that kind of predict a little bit of how technology will go to mobile payment options using your smartphones and your smart watches. What other opinions on future of mobile pay technology can you think of? What is, what, what, what do you think that's going to come next? Because when I look at this, I look at that we're going to come into a place in time where we're able to walk into a store and we're able to make a purchase without even using a card. And for those of you who think that that may not exist, take a look at the Amazon store that they have up in Seattle. They were pilot testing a store to where it was, um, you basically download this app on your phone and it has a QR code. And the QR code is just like this square um, uh, box where you can use to uh, make, um, you know, uh, you, it, it basically will load a website for you to go to whatever it is that uh, that created it. But you, when you go into the Amazon store, you basically turn your phone over. It lets you in. And there's a lot of cameras in the store. So it's already looking up facial recognition and everything. And when you pick up an item off the shelf, it shows up in your Amazon cart. When you put it down, it gets taken off. And say if you have another person in there with you, like, you know, a friend or something with you or your husband or wife is with you and they pick up something from the other side of the store and then you pick up something from the other side of the store, both items will show up in your shopping cart because the camera system is already recorded and it's already figured out these two people are together. If this person picks up something, put this in the cart. So these stores that don't have cashiers, um, they're actually here. I mean, it's actually being tested, which is great because people can just walk into the store, grab what they want to grab and walk out and then it'll be charged to their mobile payment option that they have connected. If those of you, once again, who want to look at that, just uh, go on your uh, go online to the web and I want you to research the Amazon store and just kind of take a look at the video just to see how it works. There's a lot of videos out there on it. But Regards to all this that we discussed today, we definitely need to take a look at mobile pay because it is definitely something that we're going to use in the future. The evolution of technology and our experience has allowed us to compare our simplistic lifestyle of using cash to modern day technology innovations using mobile pay on the go. From cash transactions to mobile payments, we have made progress in how fast we transact purchases. Reflecting on counting cash and making a comparison to what we have at our fingertips today shows us how far we've made it. I can only imagine what's next.